And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7 says, Do not be amazed, Nicodemus, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. He said, the wind blows. Oh, I like this. He said, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, these things, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? As we, as we talked about in our last message was the meaning of this verse 8. The winds blow where it wishes. This is a wonderful thing because you and I, as born-again believers, if you truly are a born-again believer, you were not saved because you just had a good idea. Just because you thought it was a good thing to do. Just because it would make you a good person. You were saved and you don't know why you love God the way you love God. You just love Him and you can't help it. But that's what this means. The, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it and you do not know where it comes from. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah! He first loved you. That's why you love Him. And I hope you love Him so. But the title of our message this morning is Believe and Receive Eternal Life. John chapter 3, verse 11 says, Truly, truly, this is Jesus continuing on with His conversation with Nicodemus. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. Nicodemus, as we know, was a, was a Pharisee. He was the ruler of the Jews. He was a high-ranking uh, Pharisees. In fact, he was a Sanhedrin. He was one of 71 Sanhedrin. He was a teacher of the Jews. He was a teacher of the law. Yet he didn't accept the truth of regeneration that Jesus Christ was presenting to him. In reference to the straightforward public testimony of John the Baptist and of Jesus himself, as well as all of his disciples, in this verse, Jesus spoke with absolute authority of heaven to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen, and you do not accept our testimony. Nicodemus, as I said, he was, he was a, a well-educated um, man. He was uh, of the Jewish nation of Israel, and he had zeal. He had all of the things that he needed living by the Old Testament Scriptures. But they rejected the truth of the Old Testament by rejecting the, the truth of Jesus' testimony. Look at this, John chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to notice that, that the Apostle John had told us earlier in this chapter, he says, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. As Nicodemus approached Jesus on this very night, 
You know, the Bible says that he came to him by night. Nicodemus came by night to Jesus. He came to him, he's saying, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God. We know this. We know, we have a knowledge that you've come from God. We know that you're a teacher from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God be with him. But this was a shallow profession of faith. He believed the miracles. He saw the miracles. But his profession of faith in Jesus was meaningless. And Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart. He knew of the lack. He knew of what was lacking in the heart of Nicodemus. And he said in John 3.12, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? That's a pointed question. If I tell you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Like many Nicodemus, he, not, he acknowledged Jesus to be a teacher sent from God but he was unwilling to accept him as L-O-R-D, Lord. There are many that believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But where they take issue at is accepting him as Lord. Lord and Master. When you have a Lord, he rules you. When he's your Master, you follow him. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's all about him. But rather than confessing, That he himself was a helpless sinner. The self-righteous religious elite of Israel would not humble himself. And we see that in our times today. He was prideful. He was viewed as a prominent spiritual leader by the people, but he was prideful. He needed to admit that he himself was living in spiritual darkness. He needed to admit that he was desperately in need to come to the light of the true salvation of righteousness. He was desperate. He needed to confess his sin. Many need to do that today in our lifetime. Today is the day of salvation. With the unbelief and unacceptance of Jesus' teaching on the new birth or of the spiritual regeneration, Nicodemus certainly would not believe or would not be able to believe in the kingdom of God. Listen, no man is going to believe in God unless he's been regenerated, unless he's been born again, unless there's that desire that God first places in our heart to say, save me, Lord, I'm lost. Save me, Lord, I'm in desperate need. Before a man can get saved, he has to realize he's lost. When I say man, I mean people. I mean women too. I mean all of us. Before we can be saved, we have to realize our lost condition and our desperate need for a Savior. From the beginning, mankind has refused to fully believe God. Fallen humanity has a sin nature. Did you know that? And here's a result of the fallenness. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them and accept the things of the Spirit of God. He can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Jesus knew the heart of Nicodemus. And he knows your heart. He knows my heart. We can't trick God with his own words. We can't use the scriptures against him. I've heard many people say, you need to remind God of this, thus, and that. But let me tell you, God don't need reminding. God already knows. He already knows. 
But He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything about mankind. There's nothing hidden. Everything is going to be revealed. And that's why He is the light of the world. There's nowhere to hide. Like all others, Nicodemus needed to be regenerated. He needed to be born from above. That's what it means. To be born again is to be born from above. To understand that. We need to understand that. And accept the things of the Spirit of God. Otherwise, spiritual things are foolishness. They're foolishness to Nicodemus. And he, Jesus has the, the answer for unbelief. In speaking with Nicodemus, Jesus said in John 3.13, He says, No one has ascended into heaven, and he, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. You see, Jesus insisted. Jesus insisted that no one has ascended to heaven in such a way as to return and talk about heavenly things. The Son of Man and His permanent abode in heaven, He had His permanent abode in heaven prior to coming to this old world. You see, He came in His incarnated body. He he left His glorious place in heaven, and He came and He took on the flesh of man for you and for me, for the lost and dying world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Why? Because He loved you that much. John 3.14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Here we see that Jesus uses the Old Testament uh, incident that Nicodemus would be very familiar with. Nicodemus was an expert in Old Testament Scripture. So, Jesus uses this analogy for him. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life. His point, to illustrate his point, that there was no excuse for Nicodemus. As an expert of the Scriptures, he should not have been ignorant of this fact. Numbers 21 and 5, here it is. Here's this incident that Jesus is referring to in Scriptures. He says, the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of, the, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and there's no water. And we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. He sent snakes into the camp. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord, and you intercede with the Lord that He may reprove or remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on on, on the standard, on a pole. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked on the bronze serpent, it lived. Now this event took place during Israel's Israel's 40 years of wilderness wanderings before entering the promised land. As a judgment upon the complaining Israelites, you you know, the Lord had already, already done so much for them. He'd already brought, already divided a sea for them and allowed them to walk across on dry land. 
And then he closed the sea up on the enemies behind them. They'd already seen the heavenly manifold from heaven. And here they are complaining. Complaining against God. Complaining against God's servant, Moses. They were complaining Israelites. So what the Lord did, He sent venomous snakes into the camp to infest it. And in desperation, the Israelites, they begged Moses. Moses, intercede for us on our behalf. So Moses, he prayerfully petitioned God. He petitioned God here. And he petitioned God to to display a divine grace upon the people of Israel. As God showed mercy to His rebellious people. In his in instructing Moses to make a bronze rec- replica of a snake and raise it upon a camp in, a, uh, uh, in the camp on a pole, those who were bitten they were healed. They were healed if they would but take a look. If they would take a look. If they would take a look. And by taking a, a look, they acknowledged their guilt. They acknowledged. And express faith in God's forgiveness and healing power. So Jesus was illustrating here to Moses. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in Him, look upon Him, see Him as He is, to live. And we know that Christ's death was necessary. It was a necessary part of God's plan. It was a necessary part of God's plan of salvation. Let's look at this next verse, verse 14. It says, as Moses, again, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, M-U-S-T, must the Son of Man be lifted up. The serpent, I mind you, is a symbol of Satan. The serpent was a cursed creature from the beginning. You know the story in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus became himself a cursed man for you and for me. Jesus became a cursed man. Galatians 3.13, look at this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He hanged on a tree, did he not? He paid your debt. A debt you couldn't pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe. I owed it, and you owed it. But he paid it. Jesus destroyed the works of Satan by being lifted up on the cross of Calvary. And the serpent hanging on the pole symbolized the defeat of Satan. The serpent symbolizes a defeat of Satan. When Jesus rose again, victorious over death held in the grave, Satan could not do a thing about it. But Jesus had to die. He must be lifted up on the cross as a substitute for sinners because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or there is no forgiveness of sin. So by looking upon the defeated serpent, Israel was healed. Many today, today man is healed by looking upon the Son of of God, upon the Son of Man, who has been lifted up on the cross. He is still the only way to heaven. Verse 14 again, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Look at this. So that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes will in Him have eternal life. You see, in the same way that the dying Israelites looked in hope to the bronze serpent, whoever looks in faith alone on Jesus Christ, Him crucified on the cross of Calvary, will be cured from sin, will be cured from the deadly bite, will be cured from the, from the sting of death, and will have eternal life. What a proposition, folks. What a proposition. You can't lose. Humanity today is dying in their sin from the deadly poison of sin. And their only hope, their only hope is still to come to Jesus. The next verse is probably the most, probably the most familiar and beloved verse in all of the Scripture. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Woo! Makes me think of that old ship of Zion to carry us over. This is it. This is it. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. There is nothing in man that ever attracted the love of God. There is nothing in us that ever attracted His love. God loved the world, but not its evil. God loved the world, but not the sinfulness. God loved the world, but not its fallenness. So why did God so love the world? Well, first of all, the world is humanity. It's you, people. He loves the people because He's sovereignly determined to do so. After all, He made you in His own image. Why wouldn't He love you? Keep in mind, all of humanity is in a fallen condition. No matter what mankind does, they're sinful, completely lost, and without hope. This verse doesn't teach here that God gave His Son, thereby all of the world is going to be saved. That's not what it means. It's not what it means. It's not an automatic deal here. It's a regeneration that takes place. And it's the Spirit of God drawing us unto Him doesn't teach that all are going to be saved. It doesn't teach universal salvation. I wish it did. I wish everyone could be saved. Or they, I wish everyone would be saved. And I know you do too. If you're a born-again believer, it's your heart's desire to see your family saved, to see your friends saved, your loved ones, and more than likely, even your enemies saved. You want to see them all saved because hell is such an awful, awful place and it's real i'm glad we preach about hell too here at hope in christ because christ is our hope to escape that awful place so what is the lord saying here he's saying that for all the people in the world there is only one savior but only those who are regenerated by the spirit and and who believe in his gospel will receive salvation and eternal life through Him. He's the only way. Christ is the way and the only way. He is not a way, but He is the way. That's it. No more. No other way. But not all are going to believe. Not all are going to be reconciled. As evidenced by the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, please hear in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Look with me. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. Listen, therefore we are an ambassador for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That ought to be the heart of every person who professes that Jesus Christ is the Lord of their life. If He's the Lord of your life, it ought to be your greatest heart's desire to be a soul winner, to reach out and tell people about Christ, tell them about the hope before they pull the gun, before they pull the trigger that they have the gun up to their head. I fear that many are leaving this world today lost. I fear today, every single day, there are people that are leaving without hope of eternal life. I've got hope, and you've got hope. You're born again. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? It's a wonderful truth as well. John 3, 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, thank God He didn't, but that the world might be saved through Him. It is true that Jesus said in John twelve forty seven, If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge them, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why the Savior came was to save, was to seek the lost. With no uncertainty, you can absolutely believe, you can absolutely rest assured that God will judge those who reject His dear Son. And a day of reckoning is coming We studied about it last year in the book of Revelation. We know a day is coming. The world is going to be set on fire. There's going to be those that are are going to be called into the glorious place of heaven. And there are others that are going to be called into a place of torment. Into a place of eternal damnation. And this is serious business, preacher. Why in the world are you getting so upset? I'm not upset. I'm passionate. It's a serious business with me. I wouldn't fool with it one minute if I didn't wholeheartedly believe it. I believe the Word of God is true. But the next time that Jesus comes, He will not come as a Savior. Did you know that? The next time Jesus comes, He's going to come as a judge. And He's going to judge righteously. But the first time that Jesus, uh, He didn't come as a judge, but He came as a Savior. Our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus' mission in His first coming was not to bring judgment, but to call sinners to repentance, to save that which was lost is why He came, to call those who were in darkness to come into His marvelous light. Amen? Salvation is available to all. If you've got lost loved ones, listen, that's glorious news. Don't you give up. You keep praying. You keep praying and you keep pointing them to Jesus Christ. You keep telling them when they say, you know what, I just get so sick of you preaching on me. I've, I've heard that and I know you've probably heard that too. Why do you have to preach at me? Why can't you just talk to me? Well, because what I say don't really matter, but what the Word of God says is all that matters. John three eighteen says, He who believes in Him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, he's precious, isn't he? He's precious. When is a lost person uh, condemned, do you suppose? Somebody shout it out. When is a lost person condemned? 
He's already condemned. Thank you very much. He's already condemned right now, today. That's when a lost person is condemned. It's not that he is to be condemned, but he already is condemned. And in the meantime, the Christians are shouting out, Hey, I know the way. You don't have to go that way. Turn around. Come this way. The judgment has already been pronounced. The unbeliever must pay the penalty for every transgression of God's law. Unbelief is not only the basis for condemnation, but unbelief is the pinnacle of rebellion by resisting, by resisting even God's gracious offer of salvation in Christ. Jesus came into the world, and He comes into the world that is already condemned. That's why He came. It was already condemned. It was already in a fallen condition. And Jesus came, and it was already found to be lost because it had rejected God. It had rejected uh, His ways. John 3.19 says, This is the judgment. Listen to this. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. The light is who? Jesus. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light. Jesus. Men love darkness rather than Jesus for their deeds were evil. We know, as I said, Christ is the light. All who respond to the gospel with, with unbelief, they seal their fate by divine judgment. Nothing is hidden from God. The light exposes it, and they want no part of the light. I've been there. I've been to the place where I didn't want to come to church. My grandpa used to come to our house, and it would always make me nervous because I was afraid that he would want me to come to church. Truth. That's the truth. And you have too. There's been times you wanted nothing to do with this gathering of saints. You felt completely out of place. I understand. But listen, there's nothing hidden with God. He exposes all things, so we just well come to Him and ask Him to save us. John 1, 9 says, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. You see, unbelievers are not ignorant. They're not ignorant. They're not without excuse. They're not, they're not foolish in that. They understand that there is a God in heaven, but they willfully reject the truth. They willfully reject Christ Himself who enlightens every person. No one has an excuse for not coming to Christ. No one. Every person is lost, that is lost, is without excuse. Now, Jesus gives the reasons for the world's rejection of Him. He says that He's the light, and the light exposes whether a person, a person is righteous or not. And the world, loving wickedness, not only hates this exposure, but they also hate the one who is light itself. Church, you are the light of the world. That's why the world doesn't accept you. That's why the world looks at you with disdain and thinks that you're foolish, thinks you're kind of ignorant because they are the ones who are blinded by the devil. 
the world thinks you're foolish, you're in a good place. Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, Men love darkness rather than, than the light, for their deeds were evil. In the next two verses, Jesus gives the contrast between those who avoid with those who come to Christ the light. John 3.20 says, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. There are those who practice evil. Those are the ones that hate the light, but they love the darkness that they live in. They avoid Christ. Those who do such things truly want nothing to do with the true light. They hide in the dark corners to, to avoid the very light that could save them, that could help them. And they try to hide out from their condemnation. But we know that a day of reckoning is coming. The Apostle John reminds us in 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in darkness. Churches, it's for us today too. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet, and yet, walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. But the misconception of our day is that man can fellowship with God and he can still walk in the world of darkness, of sin, and love it. And this is a lie. The Bible says that if we love the world, the love of God is not in us. The Bible doesn't teach this kind of stuff. Some people have drunk the Kool-Aid. Some people have believed the lies of the false teachers. But I'm glad we know the truth here at Hope in Christ this morning. There's many other churches that are preaching the truth too. Don't misunderstand me. But there is a difference between the truth and the lie. And I'm glad that we stand on the side of the truth. And the truth is this, John 3, 21. Look at me, I'm about done. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. You see what a difference it is here? You see the difference? One wants to come to Christ while the other hates Christ. Those who have truly been born again, they practice the truth out of conviction. I want to do good, don't you? I want to do what's pleasing to my Lord. He is my Lord and Master. It's all about Him, as I said earlier. It's all about Him. That's why I live and breathe and walk about and do the things that I do, is to glorify Him. These are those who diligently seek the truth. They love the truth. They're lovers of truth. And such are they that come to Christ. They that come to Christ, they live close to Him. They want Him more than anything. They desire to see Him more than anything. I have many loved ones that are in heaven that I long to see. But you know what? I want to see my Lord much more. Much more. And I'm glad that I have folks that are there with Him, that know Him, that knew Him in this life, and they're forever in the joys of the Lord, and we'll be together again. What hope? is better than that, that we can be together again. These are they who walk the way they ought to walk. They walk. Their walk reveals the walk of God in their lives. So because Nicodemus responded in unbelief, he apparently walked away from this conversation with Jesus unconverted. But the Bible does teach, however, that by chapter 8, he was a believer. He had come to Christ. And his initial response typifies those who reject the gospel. 
today, if you have not received Christ as Lord and Savior, search your heart. Is there an emptiness there? Is there a void there? If you see it, God gave it to you. He's given you the ability to see it. Stand with me if you will. Unrepentant unbelief. I want you to know this morning is the ultimate sin that condemns all lost sinners. For unless they confess Jesus Christ and His Lordship and repent of all sin, including the sin of trying to earn their way to heaven, they cannot, cannot and will not be saved.